0: Launch and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl growing up?
1: I think it's Max Factor for me. My mom loved Max Factor. I saw my mom have a beauty routine that gave her confidence to be the woman she wanted to be and I love to watch how she delicately applied it. So that for me has an emotional connection. I just thought that the magic it brought an individual who's someone I really love deeply.
0: Hi I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Michelle Croson Matos, the chief marketing officer for Ulta Beauty. Ulta Beauty, which was founded in 1990, is the largest beauty retailer in the United States. Its sales are in the $11 billion range and growing. It offers a very wide range of beauty products and salon services, and I mean wide, 25,000 products online and across their nearly 1,400 stores from 500 well-established and emerging brands. Ulta Beauty is not just big, they're highly innovative. In how they think about their store associates, we'll talk about that, their retail media, their loyalty program, and how they work with brand partners. We'll get into some of that in this episode. My guest, Michelle, is no stranger to me. She also began her career at P&G, and she joined me last summer at the Cannes Lions Festival on a panel to talk about career lessons. Michelle was born and raised in Glasgow, Scotland, graduated from the University of Strathclyde Business School, and then joined P&G in Europe. After 16 years at P&G, Michelle has held CMO roles at Virtu, the beauty tech brand, and Samsung US. Michelle joined Ulta Beauty about one year ago. She has two middle school children, and splits her time between Puerto Rico and the Chicago area where Ulta Beauty is based. Of special note, we had the previous CMO of Ulta Beauty, Shelley House, on our show in October 2020. Shelley was one of the brightest stars in our industry and sadly passed away in the summer of 2022. So it is with poignancy that we today speak with her successor. Here's Michelle. Michelle welcome to the CMO podcast you know it is only appropriate we have the CMO of Ulta Beauty on the show in February the month of course of love and joy so is Valentine day a super special time at Ulta Beauty
1: it sure is it's, well it's a special special time for everyone but yeah. even more so in Ulta Beauty we're celebrating love and joy and it's huge for the the beauty care category and it's also huge in the wellness category too, Jim. Mm-hmm. People love to, you know, look after themselves too. So it's a moment for not just gifting for your loved ones, but also gifting for yourself. A little bit of TLC goes both
0: ways. That's good to hear. So, what's the top selling SKU or SKUs this time of year?
1: Fragrances. Everyone loves mm. to give fragrances. Fragrance is such an intimate gift. How someone smells and, and the signals it gives you. Carolina Herrera always does exceptionally well. Chanel does exceptionally well. Dior. These are fabulous scents.
0: Lots of gift ideas. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, happy Valentine Day. Happy Valentine Month. And I have a trivia question to get us started. Do you know that in the late 1990s, you and I were working for the same company in the same city in Europe? So can you name the company? I hope so. And can you <laughs> name the city?
1: Would it be Geneva, Switzerland?
0: No, but no. close. London? Frankfurt? Were you Frankfurt? Oh,
1: Frankfurt, yes. Wasn't
0: that, was that your first job at P&G? It
1: sure was. It sure was. Two years before the millennial cut over, 98. Yeah. And I was working in IT of all functions.
0: You were busy at that time. Yes. Everyone thought everything would crash, and it didn't.
1: Oh, my goodness. We were so busy that new year. <laughs> it was a thing. It was a thing.
0: Well, I was a bit more senior than you, I believe. I was working in Schwabox outside Frankfurt. And I was the general manager for for Baby Care Europe.
1: Oh, what a beautiful category um, and such a great and such a great region. I was based in Gosgero, so I wasn't in Schwalbach. I had to go and drive out there. It was great working in a Vicks plant. It oh, all wow. smelled so fabulous. <laughs>
0: <Right>. Your sinuses <laughs> were always clear.
1: Ultra clear. <laughs> I love going to Schwalbeck. What a great office, eh?
0: Oh yeah, no, it was great. We had a fabulous yeah. couple of years there in every way for the family and business. It was all great. Listen, I have a little bit more trivia before we jump to this, and it's a, it's regarding my family. Our daughter is recently married. They had fragrances designed for each other, the whole bit. But she is an extreme Ulta Beauty fan. One mm-hmm. of your many, one of your millions. But she's a diamond level, which I understand is big deal. The highest. I just know a lot of boxes come into the house from Ulta Beauty, and this one maybe is more unexpected. Our son, who lives in Detroit, mm. is an extreme fan of the Celtic Football Club. No way! In, in Glasgow, he he goes to a club every Saturday morning, crazy early to watch it. He takes his baby. The baby's dressed in the Celtic <sighs> uniform. So th- this is this is pretty it's over the top. My so, heart. <laughs> so what insights are you drawing from these two little pieces of trivia from the Stengel family?
1: Well, that we should be best friends and that we should hang <laughs> out together. I mean, clearly that's what should be happening. I well, like that. Well, I cannot believe that, you know. I am so proud and it warms my heart that you have a Celtic fan in your family.
0: He'll be happy to hear that as he's listening to this show at some point. It's a
1: great club.
0: Well, Michelle, I feel like I know you a bit and I really so enjoy preparing for this chat. You have such radiance and curiosity and positive energy and such a sense of gratitude and humility. So it was really great fun. But you also have, this is kind of very PNG where you start it, very clear beliefs and principles. So I'd like to start by exploring some of them with you, Michelle. You good with that?
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Well, the first one, you're a big believer in the five E's of leadership, which oh, P&G yeah. taught and very much believed in and actually helped, I think, make it even more popular and ubiquitous. And those are, I won't give you a quiz on this, but those are envisioning, of course, engaging, energizing, enabling, and executing. And so they're all important, of course, but I've heard you talk a lot about envisioning. So could you talk a bit about why these five E's and this idea of envisioning are such a powerful idea for you?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of reasons why. I was 22 and I was sitting in our Newcastle office And I went to an Improve Your Personal Leadership course. And I always, very young, thought I had to have a team to be a leader. And in this course, it was a massive unlock for me to realize actually personal leadership, how you lead yourself and how you influence those around you is actually real leadership. That's where it starts from. And so this course really set me on a path to look inwards on how to improve my daily leadership. Framework, I always love frameworks. Framework's easy to remember, the five E's. It used to, once upon a time, I remember, be the three E's. Then became the five E's. And I always gravitated to <laughs> the two opposite E's, the envisioning one and the executing. And executing was often forgotten. And the envisioning piece comes back to my childhood. So I'm sitting in a very privileged chair today. I always thought that way when I was at P&G as well. I wasn't destined to be in that chair. And it was through watching movies and and dreaming big of what my life could be envisioning, I was able to create a North Star of what I wanted for myself, for my life, for my career, a great enabler for me to make the right decisions along the road that maybe felt like quick decisions, easy decisions, but actually were monumental decisions and really set me on a path. So envision for me was something that was about being able to believe that you can achieve the impossible And thank goodness for Hollywood, because there's a lot of movies about that, and that (laughs) really inspired me. But I do want to talk about the last thing. And I think executing is really where getting things over the line. I really, that's something that if you can dream big, but also you can do, you know, keep your your head up in the clouds and your feet on the ground and roll up your sleeves and get things done. I think as marketeers, that is a, a special magic sauce that we don't see often enough, And I would love to see more of. And every time I see it, I sit back in awe and I really celebrate those leaders and individuals because those are the ones that tend to rewrite history.
0: This uh, awakening or insight you had from movies or TV or whatever it might have been to develop a North Star for yourself, how did that happen? Because you did that at a pretty young age. And what was the impact of that? Did it help you decide which jobs to take or where you wanted to live or industry you wanted to be in?
1: You know, um, Jim, people talk about the year of yes. It was a bit like that. I realized that fear would be the only thing that holds me back from living my dreams. And all these movies, there was always a consistent underlying theme. The person with true courage was the one that was going to be more likely to achieve their dreams. But that was the thing that I really figured out is that most people are afraid of trying new things. So if I go back in time, being able to dream that I want a bigger life meant um, leaving home, leaving home at the age of 21, moving to a country, Germany in that case, in a country where I don't speak the language, had to learn to drive in that country in a different side of the road because mm-hmm. Brits, we were in mm-hmm. the left-hand side. All these little things, they may seem really small. When you're 21, that's a potential fearful situation. And all of this, having a North Star, knowing that I wanted more, was a reminder, you don't get more if you don't put yourself out there. It then transpired into when I had the opportunity to move to brand marketing. That could have been a potential fearful moment, leaving IT something I knew, um, and get into something fresh. Again, everything that is worth having in life Require some element of working through your fear, working through a little bit of challenge and adversity. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's something that very early on in my life, I learned that lesson. Sadly, too young. I wish I didn't learn it so young, but I'm so grateful that I did learn the lesson. And um, because it really is helping me now. And it helps me when I work with my own kids and, and talk to them through these, these moments.
0: We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in, and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So you were working in IT in the late 90s. You were a young woman in IT, which was relatively unusual back then. And you moved into marketing, which, you know, maybe that to our listeners would not seem like an obvious choice. Why, what was it about marketing? What was it about IT that compelled you to make that that life shift? Because you likely wouldn't be here now speaking with me if you hadn't made that shift many years ago.
1: Yeah, so I loved IT and the IT that I was working on SAP implementations at the time, was a little bit like internal consultancy, trying to figure out you know, business processes, matching systems with it. So it really played to my logical, my analytical strengths. What I loved about marketing in the PNG world was that you're leading a business, you are developing the brand strategy, and you are developing the brand, the products, the packaging, and the creative. Now, of course, it varies in the roles that you're in. Maybe you'll have a bias for design versus delivery. But in those early days, I was doing all of that. And that realization of I could expand my strengths by learning new things, but also tapping into just your own superpowers. I always knew I was a centered brain leader. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be always overly analytical and overly creative. I could tap into both of them. And I really wanted the opportunity to grow that center brain leadership. I guess, I don't know if I was so intentional, if I'll be honest, I was in my twenties, very young twenties, Sure. but I just knew that there was something more there. And I was always really excited and encouraged by the leadership standing in front of me in the marketing space. And I still credit today, Michelle D'Aldry. Michelle D'Aldry at the time was running our personal beauty care business in Europe at the time met me at a Women Support Women course and saw something and spoke up and told me that there's something, you know, that I may not be expecting in my future that could be my future. And she gave me the opportunity of my lifetime. And I want to thank Michelle. If it weren't for Michelle, I wouldn't be sitting here.
0: Yeah, I know, Michelle. I love this great story. The second belief, we're kind of already going there, but it's around leadership and the idea that leadership has to begin inside first. Yeah. And then it's about, compelling people to believe in something and then acting on those beliefs. So it's a very powerful and a very simple thought, but I do agree with you. That's what leadership is about. We talk an awful lot about brand purpose in this show and it only works when people feel it's their own and it's not someone else's. So could you talk a bit about how that belief comes to life for you in your role at Ulta Beauty?
1: So for me, Energizing myself and energizing people around me is a very natural thing. It's the engaging, that influencing, that is super critical. Being able to hear people and really invite them to be co-creators or to be leading, so that they feel that ownership and that they see their mark on that piece of work, was the unlock for me, Jim. Because as as you grow and evolve as a leader, you realize that the true leadership sometimes is stepping back and allowing the next generation to take over, the next generation to showcase their thinking, their thoughts, even though you may not be in 100% alignment, but you believe and you're willing to take that journey because it's the unknown territory. That's where the growth lies. I sell in store all the time. Why? Not only am I learning my craft about beauty care industry, I'm listening all the time to the associates of work store. I meet every layer of my organization in a cadence of every quarter. And they're telling me everything they think we should be doing. They give me feedback on what should be better. i invite them to strategy sessions, creative sessions. And it really is this co-creation. And I really, I, I must say, I think the Ulta Beauty, culture and focus on people, unleashing everyone so that we can live our best lives and, you know, It it really is, the possibility is beautiful. We live by that mantra. That is really fueling all of that approach, to be honest. Because really, we thrive as a team, not as an individual. And of course, everyone has their expertise and we celebrate that. Everyone has a superpower. And we we do a lot of work in superpowers. In fact, I'm hosting a training session for all of the senior managers in my organization about their superpowers. I covered in um, for a different level of the organization a couple of months ago. And when people openly celebrate each other's superpowers, we see a heightened sense of collaboration an enhancement on creativity and collaboration because everyone starts to go, oh, but you're great at this. Oh, I'm good at that, so let me do this, but you're fabulous at that. It's beautiful. So engagement really is a massive unlock, really, for that co-creation.
0: And what a beautiful idea you're doing this with your senior leadership, because A, it does all the things you just spoke about, but it also builds trust, empathy, understanding, self-awareness, I think, which are all fundamental to great teams and great businesses. So the next belief, this is a simple one, rest triggers innovation. Tell us about that and how that plays out and how you plan your days.
1: Right. So I'm a big wake up early kind of girl. So 5 a.m. club, um, but when I'm in Chicago, I tend to wake up around 4 a.m. Mm. And then the, the time difference helps me a little bit. There's a two hour difference between Puerto Rico and Chicago, so it helps me. But I get up super early, and the whole idea is that I meditate. I read and I journal. And when I'm being very good, Jim, I exercise. But that moment early in the morning when there's complete silence, it's just you trying to really Understand what is going on. Ideas just come and hit you, Jim. It's just the hit <laughs> you, and yeah. it is like, oh, how did I not see it? And so I know I'm trying to be meditating and mindfulness, but I have to have my notebook. I'm like, oh God, I should write that down. That's an amazing idea. Oh, I never thought about that, but no. And so that moment in the morning really helps me. I study in the morning, and the whole mission is I want to be the best version of myself. So I'm a better human. I'm a better mother, better wife, and a better leader because humanness is like so hard to achieve if you're tired, if you're stressed. And I really invest time to come to the office or even when I'm working from home to come feeling rested, balanced, and open. My job's to inspire my team and I can only do it when I'm in a healthy space myself.
0: Do you, when, when you, these ideas come at you when you're meditating, are you doing a mantra? Or are you just trying to enjoy the quiet? So what's your state of mind when these ideas hit you?
1: So there's a few things that can trigger mindfulness for different individuals. So I may play some meditative music. I may burn a candle and incense because scent can trigger you. Yep. And I often listen to the Cam app. That for me, that app is really great
0: yeah, I use the Calm app a lot as well.
1: So I tend to do the three dailies, and then I'll do a silence meditation for myself. Then I'll read a piece. Right now, I'm reading the Untethered soul, which should be very thought provoking for me, and I may do another five minutes of meditation afterwards. Then I journal. Very important for me to journal at the end of the journey, so that I have really, you know I can really process everything. So some days, It's two hours. Some days it's 10 minutes, right? It's not perfect.
0: Yeah. The fourth belief I want to talk about is is around imposter syndrome. And I've heard you say that you believe a great way to deal with that is to give people of all levels the right to sit at the table and have a voice. So where did this come from, Michelle? What leaders in your career have helped you discover the power of that? What did you... Find on your journey to discover the power of that. so tell us a bit about that belief.:
1: I believe two leaders probably shaped me the most on that. Carlin Tastat, another former great leader yeah, from PNG, was always keen to hear my voice as, as an assistant brand manager as a newly promoted brand manager, always wanted to hear what I had to say. Through that, I learned how to articulate my rationale my recommendations. She taught me how to deal with senior management and senior leadership. And she did in a way that was full of empathy and inspiration. A real man, Carlin Tassad is probably one of the best leaders I have ever worked with. Another outstanding leader, my former president CEO of Samsung Electronics America and Europe. And I remember my first meeting in the New Jersey office and I walk in And being pretty humble, I sit at the back of the room and he goes, Michelle, and he taps the chair right next to him. You have a seat here. And that constant encouragement to speak up in meetings, opportunities, he always believed I could do more. And he always encouraged me to join him in all of the senior meetings and to have a voice. So with Carlin's example, and Wideshawn, very different leaders, very different companies. I realized it was that moment where a leader sees you and invites you to speak up and hears you and thanks you. They may not always act on it.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, they might have different rationale, but they did hear you and your voice mattered. And I'm really grateful for that.
0: How do you act on that, Michelle, in your current job?
1: Well, just today, as a, a good example, I have a leadership meeting. I'm inviting the next level layer of leadership to come into my staff meeting and they present half the meeting. Isn't that great? So the next layer of leadership have their moments. Our town halls. So I host them once a month and it's quite a production. I love a good old town hall. We're in marketing, so we have fun. And in that town hall, Michelle speaks for two minutes out of a one hour meeting. It is everyone else that is speaking up. Everyone else is in, is presenting and inviting feedback. There lies how I encourage people to believe that their voice matters. I ask them to speak. (laughs) I ask them to lead. So for me, it's really important that everyone has an opportunity. And I really thank all these great companies I've worked for and really Ulta Beauty, it's really centered to their, their DNA and how to develop people.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Okay, this last belief, it's actually, I'm not sure it's a belief. I think it's, it's a quote of yours. And you said it last summer when we invited you to come to my class in Cannes, the CML Accelerator class, and you sat on this incredible panel and you talked really about career paths and leadership. And I was looking at the summary of the meeting before this, and it's a pretty provocative quote. I grew up in a masculine environment. At some point, I forgot I was a woman. You're all warrior, but missing the goddess. (sighs) So let's go there, Michelle. Tell us about that quote Yeah, and what role that has and the insight behind it in your evolution as a person, as a leader.
1: How do you identify with yourself? You know, Jim, everyone has something deep in them that they firmly believe is who they are. And I've always felt like a fighter. And that Mm -hmm. comes from very humble beginnings in a place called Gorbals, Glasgow. And anyone who's listening who knows this place will tell you that place breeds fighters. We have to fight to survive. It is probably one of the most humble, humble places in Western Europe at this point in time. And you fight to survive. It really helped me to build grit and resilience. My family were all about that. Every time you would fall, it, they would remind you it's an opportunity for more resilience and more grit. So that became a part of who I believed I was. And it helped me for years. It helped me to move country. Every couple of years, moving country, moving function. It is not easy. But when you believe you have grit resilience, you can do it. So then I have a bit of an aha moment after my first baby's born, a former colleague from the prestige business in p and says to me, babe, where's your goddess gone? Because in beauty care, we celebrate the masculinity and the femininity of an individual. And I thought at the time, well, it was a bit of a strange comment, but you know how comments sit with you? Sure. And I realized that the fighter took over. And by the way, you would want me on your business. I was great. I was able to game plan, strategize, because of all that great strength coming from that belief. But the softness of vulnerability was diminished. And I realized that this warrior goddess, she was there, but she wasn't sharing her vulnerability like she once did when she was a very young girl. And so I went back to discover what that meant. That meant remembering my group of friends being able to share coming into the office and being vulnerable in front of 200 people in the town hall about what am I thinking about? And not being afraid of sharing my deepest thoughts and concerns, sharing things that maybe I wouldn't have done in the past because people would judge me. And that goddess element of being able to have an abundance of empathy and humbleness really was an unlock for me. That's how you you manage a large organization, is that you have everyone's back. You care for them, you care for their loved ones, you care for their personal mission, what they're doing in the office. And I believe that was what I was missing all those years when I was developing those great skills of being a business warrior. I know that might sound a little bit strange for some people to hear. Listen, you can use your own language so you can feel familiar with the territory, But imagine there's a moment when business is suffering. What is your inclination? Is it to lean in and go, we can beat this. We can be number one. And how are you gonna do it? What does the energy have with that? And I realized I always had that fighting energy. And I wanted to bring in some adaptive and agile energy there so that I could tackle problems from different angles that I wasn't seeing. So this self-discovery really opened up a new avenue of leadership for me and a new way of thinking.
0: How do you keep it in balance at this point? Or do you feel you're in balance? Because I think you're right. Certain things happen and we go back to a behavior that was helped us be very successful. And I think we're all dealing with, you call it warrior goddess. I think we're all always dealing with that balance. So how do you keep it how do you keep it where you think you want it to be for you as a leader?
1: That's a fabulous question. The balance. I must admit, there are times when I catch myself going out of balance. The morning routine brings me in. The children bring me back. Seeing my people talk about their lives, their, their loved ones that's going through an illness, what it brings me back. So being a human being, I'm reading books that help you really think differently. Like The Peaceful Water was a great book that I read recently, is really important and staying connected. I try honestly to minimize my exposure to, in the morning for instance, when I listen to a podcast, I'll try and not listen to a podcast that will get me all fired up. Jim, that's just not gonna yeah. help me. I'm already yeah. fired up. Yeah, I'm right. naturally fired up, <laughs> yeah. don't need any more. I, I need a podcast that's gonna calm me down. I need music that comes to that. The lighting in my office, I don't even know, is dim. So I've created an environment that brings out the best in me. It will allow me to be a better version of myself. And therefore, that balance allows me to show up in my best form.
0: Does the CMO podcast fire you up or calm you down?
1: Oh, it definitely fires me up <laughs> because you you talk about topics and you have great people on that really inspire me to be a better marketeer, a better human being. So yes, you fired me up. Good. I guess that's
0: I guess that's good. So just don't listen to it first thing in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now listen, you're uh you're about a year into your job as CMO at Ulta Beauty. Mm. You were five plus years at Samsung had a great tenure, great run. So tell us about that choice. Why at this point in your life, we only live once, was it this company, this team, this opportunity? Why was this right for you one year ago?
1: I would say I had got the learnings I had to from Samsung Electronics. I had run corporate strategy, transformation, innovation in a tech company. You know, what an amazing opportunity to learn but I was craving the emotional connection. I was craving that empowerment mission. And when this opportunity came up, it was the company, its values, culture, the leadership team. So my peers, my chief merchandising officer, all these great people I worked with, my own boss, my leader, Dave Kimball, who happened to be one of the first CMOs of the company and so having a boss that is a CEO, a former CMO, I knew that I could work in a place that would make a difference in the world. And all of the great learnings I had got from my P&G worlds and working in mass and working luxury beauty. My beauty spans the full assortment of beauty care, all price points. That was pretty unique for me to have that experience. It was pretty unique for me to be in a role that I could tap into my experience in the Samsung world because there's a lot of tech and beauty now. Mm -hmm. It just the stars aligned, Jim. Even my husband worked with Ulta Beauty when I used to work at Estee Lauder. So I knew so much about the, the company from different lens, and I just knew this was the place for me to grow as an individual, grow as a leader, and also really help that organization go to the next level. Now, Ulta Beauty is already the number one beauty retailer in the country. It's huge. You know, we have 53,000 associates working for us. We're in every state. It is very successful business model. So that in itself is a great challenge. How do you take something so special to the next level? I was excited about that opportunity.
0: What are you most proud of in the last year that you've been through? You were obviously very energized by the role. Yeah, it's, It seems like you're in a really great place in your life. What is it about the last year that you're most proud of?
1: The Joy Project. Well, I'm most proud of the Joy Project. In my first week, I was in stores meeting an associates, and I was hearing directly from them the pride they feel for working for Ulta Beauty. And when you dig into the pride, there are kind of two drivers for that pride. The first driver is it's a great career destination for people who love beauty care. I would have people saying, well, I used to work in the checkout. I know I'm the general manager. And the opportunities that people get to grow is immense. And they talk about how the people around them really coached them. They were really grateful for all of the camaraderie. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. Then the next pillar was the relationships associates have with the guests who walk into stores. And so digging into that a little bit, you would actually hear them say sometimes we feel like, We're their best friend. When a guest walks in, they're unsure. They're scared of trying that new red lipstick. They're worried about their weight. They're worried about their career. Gosh, they tell us everything. And we're there not just to help them in beauty, but we often advise them in other things. And I started to dig into that as a classically trained marketeer to know that there was something special that Ulta Beauty brings to guests that other retailers don't. And it's that acceptance of who you are but also we're your partner. If you want something, you want to dream something, we're there to help you because beauty care through the beginning of time, beauty care has always been this empowering tool that people use. And so when we were digging into this a little bit through associate research, not consumer research, Mm -hmm. associate research, they were telling us, actually there's something that's holding people back from living their best life. And it's this little voice in your head. So we're like, oh, that kind of sounds intriguing. We actually commissioned a study and we found that actually over 80% of people will claim that that negative self, that little critic in your head, negative self-talk is holding you back from joy. And joy, fundamentally, this sense of being satisfied in the moment, feeling a bit of light around you, if that little voice is telling you, you can't do that, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not fit enough, then you're not gonna pursue it. And so we created the Joy Project. And I'm proud because it was the associates in store that taught me that they had this special relationship with guests. They showed us what the challenge was. We were able to articulate it in a way We partnered with Mel Robbins, who is a guru for me for transformation, and we created a movement called Joy Forward. And that is, we started internally training our own people how to identify this negative self-critic so you can banish it and then help people by spreading the message, Joy Forwarding it by telling them that they do look fabulous in that new lipstick. Their hair is amazing when it's gray and silver. You do look beautiful with those laughter lines and celebrating your ageless moment. And so for me, we created a movement that is unleashing generations of beauty enthusiasts, starting from Gen Z right through to your boomer, and it's associate-centric. Where every time a guest comes in a store, they're trained now how to pass joy forward. And when they leave that store, they don't just leave with a product, they feel uplifted. And they feel like they can tackle whatever they want, whatever they're dreaming of tackling. Now, I know that sounds a little bit like a big mission, but if we change one person's day, one person's life, because they feel like they are worthy and they can achieve it, then mission accomplished.
0: How do you think it's going to shift your business and your culture? Because it's still relatively new, the Joy Project, right? It was building off of what was in the company anyway, but it just yeah. kind of brought it out, amplified it, took it to the next level. How do you think it's going to shift your business, shift this, the already strong culture?
1: Well, beauty is a very powerful platform. It's one of the fastest growing segments that we have for a long time since the pandemic. And beauty is a part of wellness happiness and joy all ladders up into a bigger platform for us the joy project is our brand platform it is a platform by which we'll be talking to people when we communicate all to beauty so think about black history month we're celebrating the joy of black beauty for us it's about reminding people The beauty is not what you put on your face, your skin, your body, but what you put out into the world. We fundamentally believe that beauty has a power to drive good in this world for all. So will it directly impact my lipstick sales tomorrow? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. However, in the mid and long term, this is a platform that is pretty ownable by Ulta Beauty in the beauty industry in, in this country because we know that's how consumers feel. When they talk about how we are versus our, where our competitors say, joy is something we own. Reaffirming a very positive trait like that, think about your brand equity pyramids, reaffirming that will always help people understand that is a destination I wanna go to because I feel joy. When I'm there, and I feel joy when I leave there. Every marketer knows experience is everything, and that is the the joyful experience we want to create. So I fundamentally believe it's a business driver. You know, that's a beautiful thing about my role. I don't just oversee markets, and I oversee e-commerce, oversee a significant part of our business. I see the impact when we send emails. You know, we have one of the largest loyalty programs in the country with over 42 million loyalty members. Pretty amazing just for this country. So I see the impact if I email my members, if I create social posts, I can see the engagement sky high when I immerse in the joy messaging. So I know I'm onto something and I know I can see it from the tools I use to drive traffic and ultimately drive conversion.
0: It's a fabulous brand platform. And we could talk about this for a long time, but we're gonna to have to shift to the creator brief, because I don't wanna skip over that with you because this is going to be good. The first question is you're a big book reader. We've already talked about several books. You have a couple of recommendations you've already shared with us, but I understand you also host book clubs. <laughs> so what are you reading now and what are you going to read next?
1: Well, I'm reading Untethered Soul.
0: Yeah, you said that. And
1: I'm only in like chapter four. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. But I will say if you got to read a book, and it's not even a book, it's just a page a day, The Daily Stoic. Please, everyone, read The Daily Stoic, a reminder of wisdom that's thousands yeah. of years old. And I'm halfway through the new Arthur Brooks and Oprah book as well. Mm-hmm. So that, for me, has been something very interesting. So I need to finish that book. The new Adam Grant book. Yep. So that again, I bought that. So I have a, a bunch of books that I want to read there.
0: Why is The Untethered Soul so resonant for you?
1: One of the first chapters it talks about the roommate that you have i'm constantly trying to learn about happiness and joy you know not only from a personal viewpoint for but for my job and so the roommate is that equivalent of that inner critic yeah and how your roommate often takes you down paths that really is not for you it's the ego and so that battle that people often have with the monkey brain the monkey part brain and the ego I realized that probably too late in my life, and I'm glad I embarked and learning more about it, but it's a constant journey for me, and I'm really thankful that I started that journey.
0: You also love movies. <laughs> Which movie of all the ones you've seen has had the most lasting impact on you?
1: Pay It Forward. Yeah. It's totally shaped me. Rocky. I'm a <laughs> Rocky girl. Rocky.
0: fighter. Kind of-
1: Right. Oh, and lots of Esther Stallone. And you know, I always show clips from his films in my trainings too. It's not about how hard you get hit, Jim, it's about how hard you get yeah. to get back up. I always quote that because it goes back to core values, but this idea of having a dream and being able to fight for your dream. So I, a little girl that really inspired me, <laughs> so.
0: What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl growing up near Glasgow?
1: I think it's Max Factor for me. No kidding my mom loved max factor my mom felt like special woman every time she would apply max factor and she would leave home i saw my mom have a beauty routine that gave her confidence to be the woman she wanted to be i loved to watch how she delicately applied it so that for me has an emotional connection because i saw a product that was immersed in, you know, originally Max Factor um, for celebrities and makeup artists. I just thought that the magic it brought an individual who's someone I really love deeply.
0: I worked at Max Factor. We could talk about it after we finished the podcast, but I had a very pivotal experience in Max Factor relatively uh-huh. early in my career. But anyway, we won't go there right now. The biggest lesson you learned from P&G, you were there 16 so or so years and very formative years for you.
1: What was the the biggest lesson? People are really everything, right? So P&G taught us a little bit teamwork, but I'm going to tell, tell you something that Gina Drossus taught me. Again, another really open leader, really inviting. She brings you in. You can talk to her anytime. And we're in this big open plan office in Geneva. And I'm trying to crack the code and name one of our new Olay products. So we align it, we present it and she approves it. But a day later, I get this idea. I get an name. And I, you know, this little assistant brand manager, I woke up to Gina Drosses, like, I have an idea. Would you mind if I shared it with you? She's like, but I need to ask you a very important question. What new information do we know today that we didn't know yesterday that would tell us that we should change our decision? Oh. She's like, and I love your ideas, but being disciplined in decision-making will really help you. Taught me so much. There was another time, Riccardo Bellini, former CEO of Chloe, the first strategy everyone writes is win in store. And this beautiful Italian accent, he says, Michelle, win in store, how is that your number one strategy? No, well, well, we must do it. He says, exactly. Do you understand what a strategy means? He says, a strategy is a choice. You're choosing to do that over something else. He says, and a true test of a strategy is, could you do the opposite of that? and still it be a feasible strategy. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He says, well, could you feasibly not win in store? Could you feasibly say it's a choice not to invest in store and look terrible in store? Uh, no. He says, no, that's table stakes. You have to do that. Your strategy is the choices on the table that are real choices. And I want you to really ask yourself what the choice is. And I credit Ricardo, because I think it was through that that when I, was in corporate strategy and transformation, running a $40 billion enterprise strategy, that Ricardo Bellini was in my head, really asking me to be choiceful.
0: Yeah, yeah, those are two great lessons, two great lessons. Okay, last question. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life?
1: My husband, Rodolfo Matos. He's inspiring in so many ways, but the main reason is his desire to constantly learn. He just became a pilot a couple of years ago. He's a dive instructor. He constantly learns apart from being an amazing executive. He really is craving how to learn more so that he can fundamentally teach our kids so much more and for him to be a rounded individual. When I'm around that every day of my life and I'm in the morning, you know, meditating and journaling and reading. He reminds me that it is learning, that curiosity is that will fundamentally make the difference in me being a better version of myself. So I thank him because I don't think I, don't think I would be the person I am today if it weren't for him reminding me every day that learning is a part of the journey.
0: That's a beautiful way to end this discussion, Michelle. And uh, I love the comment about lifelong learning about your spouse. I wouldn't be the person I am today without my spouse. Aww. So it's it's a beautiful way to end this discussion. Thank you. This is a real gift in the uh, the month of love and joy and lots of other things. Uh, it's good to see you again since last summer. And I hope to see you soon in person in real time. We have a lot of common friends, of course, from all the years at PNG, And I love how you see life. I love how you see business. And thank you again for this gift.
1: And we thank you. We're very grateful for everything that you do. I love how you're really nurturing the next generation of our, our leaders out there. Thank you. You inspired me when I was in PNG, and and you inspire me today. Thank you so much for everything.
0: That was my conversation with Michelle. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one is the absolute power of staying close to your associates at the store level in a company like Ulta Beauty. Michelle talked about working in the stores. She talked about listening to associates. She's talked about an initiative that came out of learning from associates about joy and bringing more joy to their customers actually led to an evolved brand platform. But it started by valuing, empowering, and listening to your associates. Second takeaway, superpowers. We talk about on this show a lot, but I love what they were doing at Ulta Beauty, actually a whole workshop for different teams in the company and the top leadership team about their superpowers. So they're each aware of it, they become self-aware of their own superpowers and in the superpowers of their colleagues so that they as a team can work better. And the third takeaway, this was an amazing story from Michelle about finding balance is maybe not the right word, but she goes through daily rituals to keep herself both reflective as well as sort of active and learning she talked about balancing the warrior and the goddess but there's a lot to learn from how this woman this leader approaches her daily life she believes that every day is worth living make the most of every day but she has a beautiful way to both be quiet be reflective so ideas can come into her head and also to be the fighter that she is it's one of her superpowers.